Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Little Oracles podcast, an oracle for the everyday creative. I'm Allison Arth. Well, here we are in the fifth episode of the Divinations miniseries here on the Little Oracles podcast. If you're new to Divinations, first of all, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Divinations is a special seven-episode series in which poet Sandra Yanone and I exchange poems based on the Little Oracles multimedia installation project I did back in 2022, and we're sharing these poems with each other and with all of you as works in progress, and we're talking about the creative process around them and creative process in general and creative collaboration. It's just a really good time all around, and if you want even more more background on that original project and on this project, I'll link the first Divinations episode in the show notes and you can find out more about the concept and about us too. But before we really get into today's episode and today's poem, Sandy, welcome back. It's so good to see you. Hello, Allison. I am so enjoying when we come together to do this. Me too. Uh, it has been fabulous. So I'm looking forward to today as I have each episode, the the wonder that will come from today. Yeah, I, li- I like that. The, the wonder that will come from today. That's something that I experience every time we get together. So today I am going to read a poem I wrote in response to Sandy's Ectasis sonnet, which we looked at in our previous episode. And we're going to unpack my poem after I read it. But in terms of uh, setting the poem up before I read, I just want to note that the lexical fractal I chose from the original Little Oracles project was the word pocket. And I also was inspired by the suggestions of ecstasis as in shedding and renewal and possibility that Sandy explored in her ecstasis sonnet in the last episode. So this poem is called Articles of Incorporation. The teeth you use now were stuffed up in your head before they descended, displacing the teeth you grew as a toddler, the ones that fell out and made you a quarter, your first ever capital. Turns out it's okay to sell yourself for profit so long as it's mystic and economics of transubstantiation. Once bought, I imagine teeth rove all over, garbage cans, your dad's dresser drawers, forgotten pockets, the ocean. Though sometimes you find them 30 years later, rattling around a blank plastic box, and you wonder, were you to cast them You diviner, you divined, what other life might you augur? Well, Allison, we were just talking about the word wonder. Mm -hmm. And the word wonder appears in the poem also. But what what I marvel at about this poem is that it is both the narrative and the surreal all at once. And we don't see that that often in American poetry. It's usually an either or. It's all narrative or it's all surreal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I also noted about it, folks listening, I have the pleasure of being able to see the poem 16 lines. Yeah. So in the way that American poets often also take liberty it also felt very sonnet-esque 
to me. Yeah, that was kind of one of the ideas that I had going into it because you'd just written a sonnet too, the Ectasis sonnet, which is 15 lines, I believe. Right. I had broken form also. I had broken form. So we don't have the rhyme here, but we do have that beautiful, beautiful couplet at the end. And the poem, it's a couplet sandwich. There's the opening couplet, four-line quartets, three of them, and then the final couplet. So it's beautifully crafted, and there's some trickster energy here. Because again, you do a double take to see, is it a sonnet? Like, what is it doing here? But what I really want to start with, halfway through the podcast, start (laughs) with, is the ending of the poem, where you end on a question. How did you decide to end on a question? And why might we want to think about ending on a question in a poem, as opposed to we're often looking for the poem to be a container that by the time we get to the end, my professor, mentor, diviner of poetry, we might even say, Lucy Brock Broido would say, here's when we know we have a great poem, We get to the end, the box clicks shut. And how does a question click the box shut? Isn't that a complete wide opening? So I wonder if you would talk a little bit about that decision to end on a question of divination. Yeah, I love that you are digging into this. This is something that I did when I was writing this poem, I initially, it was almost like I was going to flip it where the question was going to be at the beginning, but I'm so drawn to the hinge. And you touched on this as well when you talked about the surreal and the narrative, right? That to me is what defines effectively this idea of transubstantiation, which if folks, if you're not familiar with transubstantiation, it's a religious concept. It is uh, mainly in the Roman Catholic Church, and it's the idea that the blood in the body of Christ is literally consumed during the Eucharist. When you have communion and you take the bread and the wine, they're literally transformed into the blood and the body of Christ as a sacrament. And that moment of divine embodiment that people assume is happening has always fascinated me. So I really wanted to create that admixture of that narrative and those surreal elements and you kind of see them throughout this poem Mm. and I thought that it didn't make a lot of sense in a poem that is about mixing the what-ifs and the concrete you know you have the teeth you have the the reality of money I talk about quarters capital in this poem and the the more surreal and divine elements of divination and augury and the tooth fairy and it's this this mixture of these things that is coming together in that idea of transubstantiation and I didn't want it to be something that I answer because I want it to be more exploratory and more more searching I guess in and of itself like the divining rod searching yeah yeah kind of yeah in progress in process mm-hmm, as opposed mm-hmm. to a completion yeah yeah what I appreciate about what you just offered us was kind of where I was going to head next. And I would like to hear a little bit more about this because what I was so struck by in this poem, and you've pointed out so well already, here we are with a poem about divination, and yet it is ballasted by the very businessy terms of 
a contract. That's yeah. basically what an Articles of Incorporation is. Something that sanctions the founding of a business. And teeth themselves are such an amazing way to think of capital. The teeth are the currency in this poem. And there's the surreal, right? The mundane and the surreal are together. So how did you make the choice of steering toward this very corporate form in a way? Honestly, it's the word incorporation because mm. I didn't come up with the title first. I wrote this poem and then I was like, what am I going to call this poem? And so I was thinking about all of the things that are suggested and this idea of transubstantiation and embodiment and what incorporation means like at its root, corpore, which is the body, the body. right? Mm -hmm. And when you participate in a ritual like transubstantiation, like the Eucharist, like communion, the idea behind that is that you are incorporating the blood and the body of Christ into your own corporeal form. So that's kind of what I was playing at there. But there's also a lot of uh, overtones, I think, in this poem of some other ideas that I have about Catholicism, like as a business and as something that is very driven by money and riches and these earthly things. So it's something that I really find super fascinating about the world and about this particular sect of Christianity. So I kind of leaned into that as I was titling the poem. The more we talk about the poem and the title, the more I am convinced of the brilliance of the title because it is truly a double entendre. Because I think of it as, oh, there's a form, a format. But literally, now you're talking about it being of the body, and the articles are the literal things that we see in the poem. In that third stanza, where teeth rove all over garbage cans, your dad's dresser drawers, forgotten pockets, the ocean, that small litany incorporated within the poem. Yeah, it's like the whereas is in some kind of contractual element. And it is like the liturgy where you say things and it kind of makes it real in a way by listing things. With that litany of objects, it was reminding me, you know how we've in the program at different times referred to other poems that it reminds us of? Yeah. Well, this yeah. reminded me of one of my own poems that's in the glass studio. So there's a poem called Luna Park at Nightmare at the Museum of Northwest Art. And I'll just read the part that that little litany that is very expansive in the middle of the poem made me think about this poem. Luna Park at Nightmare at the Museum of Northwest Art. To make something from nothing perceived smothered like the wounded field that becomes carnival overnight. Suddenly an island is a merry-go-round of technicolor wedding cakes sacrificing bodies to the strange American bleeding sky. The individual object is easier to dismiss than the sum of her ridiculed subway tokens, pen caps, flower frogs, Dixie cups, sipping straws. How do I become insignificant like this? How did I become thrown away? Love has a tinny taste of crinkled foil. 
Refuse is not the same ice cream flavor as refuge. Remember this. Remember her. Remember each lick until your teeth knock again on the sugar cones door. Oh, I love that. There is something so powerful in a litany and in a list, right? It is like conjuring. Mm. It conjures images. It can conjure feelings. So many things. I feel like that is just a fundamental human tendency to list and to surround and to find and collate and collect. And I, I feel like that's why I'm drawn to that kind of litany in my work. And I, I wonder if that's the same for you as well. You know, I think, I think for me, the litany, it's about also naming. We really are drawn to mm. name things. Yeah, 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 but yeah. But for me, you talked about a little earlier that idea of searching. And I feel like the litany often is reaching to try to make meaning. Mm. I love that, that it can be so many things all at once. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, rather than absolutes, they're a grasping for more meaning. What could be next? What could be next? What could be next? And maybe you arrive and maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe you click the box shut and maybe you ask a question at the end. (laughs) Click. So at what point in the drafting of this draft, because I just will remind folks that are listening, these are poems that have only been living for a very short time Mm -hmm. as we're talking about them. At what point did you notice the convergence of all the things that we are talking about? Because it is extremely layered. It's extremely sophisticated. And yet this is a very new poem. Mm -hmm. I love that question because this is one that... I did draft a lot of up top. So I had a couple of lines when I first started this poem. It was about teeth and bones and like those kind of really fundamental elements of the human body. And I wanted to explore that idea. And, you know, the idea of the tooth fairy and like that, that mixing of of the surreal and the concrete. But then I looked up our teeth bones and they're not. (laughs) So I was like, well, I can't uh, keep going down this road because I do prize veracity in the work that I do in some way. And so I had to kind of go down a different road. I had to back out a little bit and think about teeth in a new way and kind of frame them in in a new way. And I started thinking more about the tooth fairy and I started thinking more about what that actually signifies when you're growing up and something falls out of your head and you put it under your pillow and then you get money for it. Like that's weird. That's a strange ritual that we give our children money for parts of their body that we then throw in the trash? I don't know. And so I started seeing those uh, hinges in this poem of these whimsical and surreal elements turning into these more mundane things and these more monetarily driven things. And so I started thinking of other ways that I could bring those into the poem. So I'm curious about the you in this poem, Mm. because we talked in the previous podcast about the use of you, the use of the second person. Yeah. And was it a self-referential back to the I, or is it a beloved? And in the same way that the sonnet is often an 
invocation, an invitation, of a plea to the beloved, this you to me does have that feeling of the other. That is not the I of the poem. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, yeah. And I don't know why, but it's the line, your dad's dresser. Like, it, that could be my dad's dresser, or it could have been your dad's dresser, but it feels like an other's dresser, an other's dad, not the you slash I's dad, not the speaker's dad, if all this is making sense, dear listeners and dear Allison. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And it's that direct address to the you at the end. You diviner, you divined, which elevates the diviner to an even further height. The diviner is divine. I love that you're seeing it that way because definitely when I wrote it, I was borrowing that you idea from your ectasis sonnet. I was like, maybe I'll try this out. Maybe I'll experiment with what it is to write the you as kind of a facsimile for the I. But as I started writing it more, I think it goes back to those religious overtones that are in this poem, right? It feels like a sermon or like delivering some kind of message when you incorporate everybody and you kind of fold them into the congregation, as it were, right? And so I'm thinking about this as something that is very uh, inclusive and, and, and incorporating. And that's kind of why I wanted to lean into that you, even though, you know, sometimes you find them 30 years later rattling around a blank plastic box like I literally did find my wisdom teeth. You know, this is something that I drew from an experience that I recently had cleaning out the attic at my parents' house. And I wanted to bring that real situation and imbue it with some kind of divine energy, I guess, mm. and think about it in a way that goes beyond the, the rootedness of the embodiment that is manifested in something like teeth. Well, you certainly, you cast your die in the effort to write this poem, and it certainly is living up to what for me is that fifth line, so long as it's mystic. You lived up to the mysticism in this poem. Well, that is a beautiful segue into what we're going to be talking about in our next episode. As we like to do here in Divinations, we're going to tease the poem for next week, which is Sandy's poem. So Sandy, will you share just a little bit of that poem with us as a teaser before we head on out of this episode? Sure. The mystic in me seeks a placard, a sign, an historical marker anything to reveal what's behind this random curtain of padlocks occupying the chains like bird shadows populate a wire. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about this poem next episode. Sandy, thank you so much for collaborating with me on this. This is just an absolute joy for me. Before we go, what do you want to shout out? What's coming up? Where can we find you? As usual, many Sundays, I'm hosting Cultivating Voices live poetry. And in addition to Cultivating Voices live poetry, at the time of our recording, I've just 
completed and submitted the final manuscript of The Glass Studio, my second collection, which will be coming out in February 2024 with Salmon Poetry. The poem Luna Park at Nightmare at the Museum of Northwest Art is the opening poem of the second section. Yay. I'm excited about that, too. Thank you. <laughs> you can follow Little Oracles on Instagram at Little Oracles. Check us out on the blog at littleoracles.com. You can find all the poems that Sandy and I are sharing there. And you can also find all of the lexical fractals, the original Little Oracles digital installation in its entirety at littleoracles.com exhibit. So you can go ahead and check that out and maybe use it for your own poetry project. We'll see you in our next Divinations episode. And until then, as always, take care, keep creating, and stay divine. I will tell you where my baby teeth have resided. <laughs> okay. I will try to keep this as brief as possible. When I was born, <laughs> that does not suggest that this is going to be brief. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you start out with when I was born. Right.